0: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. Uh, before we get started jumping into our sermon, after many months of waiting and traveling and doing the Lincoln World Tour, uh, Ty and Kenzie and, and their uh, little boy Lincoln is here. So Lincoln, if you don't mind to bring your parents up. We were talking beforehand. He's, he's uh, already been on six flights in this short period of his life. And I told them, I was like, I think I surpassed six, just like a year or two to go. <laughs> down here.
1: As y'all know by now, it is our custom uh, to celebrate with Ty and Kinsey and to honor Mr. Lincoln He looks like he's a month old. So we're going to hold him up now and count to three. One, two, three. (laughs) Y'all going to feel something that, or you probably, I'm sure you may already feel it. For me, it didn't happen until maybe a few months old when he's started to develop a personality and that and it's it's a love so intense it's it's painful so and it really is so we congratulate you and I'd like to present you this bible on behalf of Alton Church of Christ uh, you're probably going to feel some pain when he gets to be about 16 too but that's a different <laughs> <laughs> let's pray together Father in heaven, we give thanks for all the blessings you give us. We're thankful, Lord, for the miracle of birth. We're thankful that in your wisdom, you gave us families. And we're thankful for the joy that is in that, Lord, for our personal family and our Christian family, Lord. But what a blessing it is. We're, we pray your blessings on... On Lincoln this morning, Lord, we're thankful for the joy that he's going to provide for his family. And we just pray that you'll be with him and bless him. We pray he'll, he'll become a faithful Christian, Lord. We just pray that you'll be with him and his family and, and be with us, Lord, as, also as his family, that, that we can make that happen. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Lincoln did really good. We actually interrupted his uh, second breakfast or whatever he was having. So he is well behaved. Speaking of intense emotions, uh, this morning we're going to talk about anger. Am I on? Nope. I guess Todd muted me. I must have been loud. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about anger. And speaking of this idea of asking for a friend, this may be the one that really you may not notice. Somebody having. In fact, they may never even talk about it because, let's be honest, who wants to admit you have a problem with anger? But I know throughout my life a lot of times the people that seem the most unassuming a lot of times will deal with anger in their home life or in their work life or something along those lines. And If you ever question if, if anger exists, just consider this classified ad from a couple years back. It went like this. It said, A wedding dress for sale. Never worn we'll trade for a thirty-eight caliber pistol. (laughs) You know, that murderous anger is very well alive in the world that we deal with. And, and, you know, it's really, it's it's something that's not anything to joke about. There's a story that goes like this of an eagle that swoops down and grabs a weasel, and he goes to lift off with it, and he gets uh, so far back up into the air, and before he ever gets all the way back up there, the eagle just drops down dead. Well, see, what had happened is the eagle had picked up that weasel, and without knowing, the weasel had bit him, bit him right in the heart and killed him instantly. See, anger a lot of times is like that weasel. If we hold on to it for too long before we realize that we're bitten, and it's killed us, and it's done more damage than we ever thought that it could. You know, when you look at what the Bible says about anger, yeah, the, there's a couple of verses like this that say, now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Just like that weasel. We've got to make sure not to hold on to that. Make sure that it's not around us too long, because if we don't realize it'll eat us up, it'll kill us. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount he talks about anger. In fact, it was the first one that, that came with that correction. You've heard it said, right? But then he corrects. And interestingly enough, he starts off, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder what we just talked about. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But Jesus goes on and says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and to judge the guard, and to be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. Man, that's such a weird ending, isn't it? You know, let's just think about what's being taught here. The first thing, and this, you know, we kind of understand, but everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You know, this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers, you've heard this said, but I'm going to tell you, And right after this, he talks about lust, and he says, look, even that thought in your heart is where the sin... He's getting to the root of each and every one of these. He's saying, look, you've been able to skirt around this anger that's in your heart. You've been able to say, as long as I don't murder him, that's okay. But now I say to you, watch out for that anger in your heart. Don't let yourself get angry with a brother or sister because you're liable to judgment for even what's going on in here. Just like the rest of this sermon, Jesus takes it up a notch. He challenges us not to just be okay with being torn up inside by all this sin, but instead to look inside and deal with the anger and the lust and the pride and the hypocrisy that we sometimes carry around with us. He says, look at yourself and make sure that you don't be eaten up with that anger that's inside. But then he goes on in this second part. You know, it, it took me a while to kind of think about it because you think about this. You know, if we put it in today's term, if you're at church and you realize somebody has an issue with you, you know, a lot of times we wouldn't realize it, right? You know, we would just be bebopping along, and, and that's how we kind of think of this is, you know, we can be oblivious to that a lot of times. But then I realized the context here is anger. The context here is think about it in terms of times that you've blown up on somebody. Think about a time where you've let your temper get the best of you to your family, to your kids, to to your spouse, or to people you work with. You know, those tend to stay with us for a while. Those are the ones that we've come to later and we're like, man, I just can't believe that I did that. You know, he's getting to the root of this and he's saying, look, if you've had a moment where your temper got the best of you, you need to do something about it go apologize. Go reconcile. What does he say after that? He says, because if you don't, you're going to be liable for every penny. You're going to have to deal with a much bigger consequence unless you deal with it right then. This idea, I have three little kids at home. I feel like I do this all the time. How many times I let that frustration of the moment go too far, and then I have to turn around and say, man, I, I feel terrible that I did that. I know that my emotion got the best of me. But we're being challenged in the Sermon on the Mount to not let that linger. To go and to reconcile and deal with that before it's too long and too late. You know, teaching on anger can seem pretty straightforward, but there's this one thing that we tend to always wonder when we think about with anger. And In fact, you'll hear sermons about it and discuss about it. And I feel like right now we need to take a detour and we need to talk about this. Because as soon as we think about anger, a lot of us think about this very thing. Jesus got angry. So what about this idea of righteous anger? What about anger that's justified? What about anger that, you know, it, it's a reason for that. It's not just off the wall. There's a reason why I'm angry, and that makes it okay. You know, we think about this idea of righteous anger. You know, I, I love at the end of the story of Jonah. God, he, he's talking to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, are you justified in your anger? Are you, or is it okay for you to be angry the way that you are? Does anybody remember Jonah's response? He says, yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm ready to be angry until dead. You know, I'm, I'm ready to die for this anger. You know, how often do we have that same response? You know, in the moment we're like, yes, my anger is justified. And then later we realize that we were totally wrong. That what we were thinking or not thinking at that moment was completely off base. So the question is, is is your anger justified? Is this righteous anger that you're feeling? Chances are, no, it's not. If you're asking yourself that question, am I justified in my anger? Go ahead and tell yourself no. Because nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, your anger is not justified. This passage, this one that talks about Jesus being angry, let's look at this. Let's see what the difference is between when Jesus gets angry and when we get angry starting in Mark uh, chapter chapter 3 verse 1 it says like this again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him and he had said to the man with a withered hand come here and he said to the them to the crowd is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm to save a life or to kill but they were silent And he looked around them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out his hand as it was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him of how to destroy him. If you compare this with the story in Luke chapter 6, the same story, Luke doesn't mention Jesus getting angry, but there at the end he mentions the Pharisees getting angry. You know, you look at this and we see the difference between Jesus' anger and, and human anger. We see the difference between when Jesus got angry, what happened, versus what typically happens when we get angry. I want you to think about these three things that happened with him getting angry. The first thing, he wasn't angry because of an injustice towards him. You think about that. Most of the time that we get angry, we get angry because someone has wronged me. We get angry because my way is not being done. We get angry because what I thought should happen doesn't happen. Jesus is not angry because of that. He's angry because they, in their hardness of heart, will not help this man who's in need. When Jesus gets angry, it's not over some selfish reason, but instead it's because somebody else is being mistreated and abused. You think about what happened when Jesus himself was abused. Think about on the cross. We we read it earlier, right? He was nailed on that cross in anger. He was up there purely because of injustice. Nothing about him deserved what he was up there for. But what did he say while he was being abused? What did he say while he was hanging on that cross? What did he say while he was experiencing the injustice that he was ready for the entire life? He said, Father, forgive him because they don't know what they're doing. See, our anger, when it's injustice towards us, we don't have that sort of clarity of mind. Our anger is that human anger that leads to nothing but evil. We don't usually have the clarity to say, Father, forgive injustices towards me. But Jesus, in His perfection, He gets angry because of injustices towards someone else. The second thing I want you to see is that His anger was mixed with grief. You know, a lot of times when we're dealing with anger, it is just anger. It is just frustration. There is no other thought process. There is no other emotions going on. It is just pure fuel to that fire. That's the kind of anger that we often fear, feel. But with Jesus, he's griefed. He's sad. He realizes that what's going on is more, and he's able to think through this. And then the final thing, his anger led to an act of healing. You know, this, I think, is the key thing. And this is what we're going to see as we look at these other passages about anger. Is feeling anger is one thing, but acting in anger is a totally different thing. Feeling anger, I think most of us are going to deal with, but acting in anger is never justified. When Jesus was angry, It led to someone who had been struggling, who had been suffering, to be healed, to meet his creator, to experience love, to experience grace and mercy. That's the difference between Jesus' anger and our anger. There's another good story that that shows this pretty well, and it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 20. And I want you to notice there's going to be two people in here that, that experience anger, The first one is Saul and the second one is Jonathan. And I want you to see and I want you just to realize the two different ways that the anger is handled. So we're going to start in verse, uh, I think it's 27 here. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Saul's asking, he says, where is David? At this point, Jonathan and David kind of have a clue that, that Saul wants to kill David. And so David doesn't show up for a couple days. And so Saul starts to question Jonathan about it. Hey, where, you know, where's David at? Jonathan answered Saul. He said, David earnestly asked to leave me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Jonathan says, look, he, he had something he wanted to do, and he asked me if he would go, and I, I told him that was okay. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Who's he mad about? He's mad at Jonathan, right? We, We saw that, Matthew 5. Don't be angry at a brother. And he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do you not know that I have chosen the son of Jesse to be your own shame and that the shame of your mother's nakedness? He's cursing, guys. He's letting him have it. This is exactly like every angry tirade you've ever noticed. He is saying everything under the sun. He is letting Jonathan have it. He goes on, For as long as David lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. You should be angry too, Jonathan. You shouldn't be letting this happen. My anger is justified. You should be angry just like I'm angry. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Right? Already ready to murder him. Then Jonathan answered Saul, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan's thinking clearly. Saul, on the other hand, is not. You want to know? Saul hurled his spear at him. Jonathan, who's he ma- who is he mad at? He's mad at David. But he's not even thinking straight that he, he tries to spear his own son. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Yeah, you, you think? Jonathan rose from the table in what? Fierce anger. You know, I, I wrestled with this for a while. Why, why was Jonathan angry? Later it's going to say why he had grief. But I think it's because anger is contagious. You, you ever notice a conversation where one person's angry? It takes a lot of willpower on the part of the other person not get angry. I think Jonathan is just... He, he's been hit with this volcano, this flood of anger from his father. And he can't help but to feel some of that himself. But What does it say right after this? He, he ate no food. What, what, what became of Jonathan's anger? What led to Jonathan's anger? The very next thing we're told is that he ate no food. Woo! Right, that's not a blow up. In fact, that's the opposite. Jonathan, or Saul, when he's angry, everything under the sun, you know, all this and that, and blah, 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 and yeah, you're dead, and Jonathan get angry, and he doesn't eat. Look at the way these two different things were handled. But then right after that, you know, what did I say about Jesus' anger? For he was grieved for David because his father has disgraced him. It led to him, at once that anger had subsided, once time had passed, he realized the root of the issue, the root of his frustration towards his dad is because his dad wasn't treating David right. I think this is a great story to see how these two different angers are handled. Both of them experienced anger, but one led to him almost killing his son and the other led to realizing the injustice that was being dealt to David you know when we think about this righteous anger when we think about like well how do we explain this how do we explain the feeling that comes with realizing the injustice in the world you know if you try to put an emotion with it really it's a lot of things there's there's frustration right there's there's that anger but there's also sadness there's also that sense of grief that when we see the injustices in the world around us it's not just anger and so calling it righteous anger is not exactly the best way to explain it. There's a book written one day talking about holy discontent. That's another way of explaining it. This, this feeling that we have inside of us when we see injustice around. To call that righteous anger I think is not a clear communication. But instead in Acts chapter 17 this is how I would explain it. This is what I think is the best way to say. When that feeling goes on, when we feel those mix of emotions towards injustice... Acts 17, 16 says this, Paul was waiting for them in Athens and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. When he saw the injustice, when he saw God's name and how perverted their sense of God and religion was, when he saw the brokenness of the world around him, his spirit was provoked inside of him. It can't be explained with just one emotion. It can't be explained with just one thought. But instead, it's that spirit that lives inside of us that pushes us to action. The Holy Spirit saying, hey, go do something about this, Paul. You have the ability to change this. This should not be. You can go out and do it. Was there anger? Maybe. Was there sadness? Maybe. But it was the spirit being provoked inside When we think of righteous anger, I think the better way to say it is that our spirit inside of us is provoked. Yes, there may be anger. Yes, there may be sadness. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to move, get us to action, get us to not just sit and allow something to not be done, but instead prime that pump to go out and to do what God wants us to do. So are we dealing with righteous anger? Is my anger justified? Nope, probably not. Tell you that. Just assume that because the reality is is that later we may can say it was, but in the moment we need to hear, no, it's not. So now let's get back to this this anger. How do we deal with it? How do we handle this anger? When we feel this emotion inside of us, when we feel this frustration, what do we do about it? I'm going to offer a few quick points here. Uh, write the verses down you can go back and look at these later um, but the first thing i want you to know is it helps to know that everyone gets angry you know we just talked about jonah we talked about jonathan we talked about multiple good people that that experienced anger and the other one i want to show you is psalm 106 it's talking to, it's recounting the story of moses it's recounting him in the wilderness and you think about all the frustrating things that he had to deal with right Time and time again, people complaining, moaning, not just complaining at him, complaining at God. If there was ever anyone that could have been, you know, let's give them a little slack for being angry. It's Moses. But it says, they angered him at the waters of Meribah. If you don't remember this story, right, God told him to speak to the rock. God said, look, they're complaining for water. Go over here, speak to this rock. Water will come out. They'll quit complaining, right? But it says that he got angry. He was so tired of hearing this. What was the first thing that he had to deal with as soon as they got out of Egypt? Where is water? We're so thirsty. You brought us out here to die. This is the one that he's been dealing with from the beginning. And time and time again, he has to deal with it. And it says that he got angered. What does it say after this? That he spoke rashly with his lips. Right? It doesn't say that the anger in itself was the problem, but it says what happened is right after that, That anger, that thing is what caused him to sin. It's what caused him to do something that he knew he shouldn't have. But I want you to realize, everybody is going to deal with this anger. Does that make it okay? Does that make it all right? No, 100% not. You know, you think about it. One of the best questions to ask yourself when you get angry is, is this going to matter five years from now? When you get angry about something, just ask yourself, is this going to matter even just a month from now, a week from now. Most of the things that we get angry about really won't even matter five minutes from now. But realize we all get angry. Now, why is it important to realize we all get angry? Well, I can share from experience. If you think that the sheer happening of getting angry in itself is some kind of terrible, unforgivable sin, it's only going to make you more angry. If you think, oh man, I'm, I'm angry and I know I shouldn't be because it's so bad to be angry and you just, it makes you even more mad. You know, I told the story last week of working on the garage door. You know, there was some anger going on there and I knew I shouldn't have been angry and I knew that I, I had no reason to be angry. I knew that it was all ridiculous, but what did that do? It made me more angry. But if I just slowed down and realized, hey, it's okay that I felt angry and took a breath, which I finally did later than I should have, it was all right. I I didn't lash out as as bad as I should have, right? You know, you want to stop it as soon as it happens. And that leads to the second thing that I want you to see, is when you're getting angry, catch yourself as soon as possible, I want you to catch yourself as soon as possible. Look at what the Bible says about this. Proverbs 14, 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has hasty temper exalts folly. Not only that, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. James 1:19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger when you see yourself getting angry, when you feel that emotion starting to well up inside of you, stop, take a breath, realize it, cut it off in its tracks. That's how we win this battle with anger, is realizing, hey, it's not a problem that we're angry, but we have to realize it, and we have to slow down, and we have to shut off that valve of endorphins and all those things that are pumping through our body. You know, one of the common advices for anger is to just, Remove yourself, right, and take a minute. You know, the fight-or-flight response that you feel with anger lasts 20 minutes. Once that starts to pump, once that starts to happen in your body, it takes 20 minutes for all those chemicals to get back out of your system. 20 minutes. You see yourself getting angry, and you can't stop it in the moment. You can't slow it down before it becomes too much. Take 20 minutes. Not just a minute. 20 minutes. Because, see, what happens is when we get angry, that fight-or-flight response, right, it's either I'm going to fight here or I'm going to run away. That is because our brain shuts off. Our brain quits working. When those endorphins start to pump, when we start to feel angry, we're literally not thinking anymore. You know, some of the, the funniest moments in shows, Seinfeld is the one that always comes to my mind, there there's a fire in a, in a, in a house, And this terrible character who, you know, he's fully a hypocrite and a terrible person or whatever. The fire happens and he's in here with all these women and children. And the fire goes off and he runs and he knocks over women and children and elderly and runs out the door. Right? And immediately afterwards, he starts thinking of all the lies that he can cover it up with. But what happened? That fight or flight response hit and he quit thinking. And his true nature showed. That's why we got to slow down. That's why we got to be the type of person that when we see that coming, we still make sure we're thinking. We still make sure that that we're not just jumping into some sort of primal nature where we're ready to kill a person if we have to, like Saul. But realize it before it becomes too much. And if it's become too much, remove yourself. James 1.20 For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we feel that, we got to shut it off as soon as we can. we got to cut it off. God will handle it. You know, we think about a lot of the things that make us angry, a lot of things that get us frustrated. It's things that we feel like we have to fix and we have to fix right now. But I want you to know that God can handle it. God does not expect you to fix every problem. If he did, we're going to fail. I mean, just look at the problems we deal with in our own life. We don't always do the best job of fixing things. But you need to know when it comes to anger, when it comes to feeling angry, realize that God can fix it. You don't have to fix everything right in the moment. Romans says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. You ever try to do something nice for somebody while you're angry with him? You ever tried to do something, show love to somebody when you're angry with them? You can't do it. You can't be angry with somebody while you're doing something like this. Right? If you do, it's going to show all over your face, right? Take your stupid water. <laughs> you're, you, take this, you know. You can't do it. But Paul, God is saying through Paul, look, realize when you're angry, when you feel like somebody has wronged you, God will take care of it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to show that person the error right in that moment. But instead, slow down and remember, we're taught to love even our enemies. And that challenge in and of itself, realizing that God can handle it, and all I'm asked to do is to love this person I think that helps us to shut that brain back on, to stop that flow of endorphins, to start thinking again and realizing what we've been called to do. Do not overcome or be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Psalm 37, 8 says this, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not at your, because it tends only to evil. We have to shut off that flow of anger and realize that God can handle it. The last thing, Try to resolve or apologize for all your instances of anger. If you feel anger inside your head, if you feel anger inside your body, you got to deal with that. Not only that, if you've let your temper become too much, if you've let outbursts happen, think about you know, the reason I, I, I've been able to do that a few times with my kids is because I realize immediately after my kids can forgive me. Just think about that. The reconciliation that comes from you being able to humble yourself, being able to go to that person and saying, Hey, listen, I made a mistake. I wasn't thinking clearly. I let anger get the best of me. I know it shouldn't have been that way. I made a mistake. That is such a powerful thing that we can do. You want to know how not to be a hypocrite? You admit when you make mistakes. Admit when your anger got the best of you. Go and apologize for those things. Ephesians 4 says this, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Right, when we have this unresolved anger inside of us, it builds up and it causes more problems than it ever should. Charles Wendell says this, Allowing anger to seethe on the back burner will lead to a very large lid blowing off a very hot pot. If you allow that anger to just settle inside of you and stay there. If you allow the anger that's inside, you know, just like Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? If we realize that we have anger inside of us and we don't do anything about it, if we're not careful, it's going to lead to murder. It's going to lead to us hurting the people that are around us. It's going to lead to us having an explosion of which we have no control over. But instead, we need to work to resolve the anger that we have inside. And we need to apologize for any times that we've let it get out of hand. Anger is not an easy thing to deal with. All of our emotions, right? It it creates these feelings inside of us that sometimes just send us off to places we don't want to go. But we have to be careful. We have to be slow to anger. We have to shut off that flow as quick as we can. We have to think as much as we can because anger wants us not to think but we can do it. If you're that person that would never admit to the anger issues, I hope today has been a help. And I can tell you as somebody that's struggled with this in different points in my life, this is the stuff that helps me to get through it. And I pray that this has been helpful to you. We started off this series saying that everything that I share, it's, it's not me, it's not Ryan's wisdom, but instead it's the wisdom that comes from God. It's the example that was set in Jesus Christ. It's him and how he handled his emotions that we can learn from. And as we realize that his anger led to good things, we can start to see that our anger can do the same. As we grow our hearts closer to God's, we realize that we start to get less angry about these things that normally make us angry. And we start to see and feel the sadness and the grief that God feels with the injustices in the world around us. One of the best things you can do for anger is to more commit your life to God the more you are in his word the more you are seeking his heart through prayer the better our anger will be if you're here today and you're not a Christian that's going to be key one for you dealing with your anger the spirit inside of you will help you through this but you need to repent of those ways and realize that acting out in anger is not okay no matter how justified you feel You confess Jesus as Lord and you put him on in baptism to say, I'm dying to my old self and you will raise me anew and I'll walk only by your guidance and by your example. Or if you're here today and you're a Christian and you need prayers for forgiveness or you need prayers to handle the anger that's inside of you, whatever your need is, come now as we stand and sing together.